You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about Citizens, please visit citizensbhm.com. Often in the Gospels, we see Jesus and he meets all these sympathetic people, the sort of people that kind of pull at your heartstrings. Desperate parents, sick kids, people trapped in their sins, people just coming for help. We see throughout the gospel, he's healing the sick, the crippled, the blind, and everyone who comes needy to Jesus goes away full. He doesn't deny anyone. And these stories are meant to draw us in, and they're true, but this story is not like that, at least not at first, because Zacchaeus is an absolutely terrible person. Look at verse 1 and 2. There's a lot packed in here. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man there by the name of Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Jericho was an important city at the time, an important city for the Roman Empire. It was the center of all their tax collecting for the region. This was like IRS headquarters. And and what the Romans would do, they would conquer a people and then just tax them and tax them and tax them to go build the rest of the empire. So they were heavily taxing all of Europe, all of North Africa, all the Middle East. And what they would do, because they didn't want to really do the tax collecting, they would hire local guys like Zacchaeus, who spoke the local language, a dialect of Hebrew called Aramaic. Local guys like Zacchaeus who knew everyone's name, knew everyone's business, knew all their relatives, where they lived, probably what their incomes are like, because they wanted to make sure they got every single penny of their taxes out of the people. And so to work for the Romans, the occupiers, you are considered a traitor. That Zacchaeus would turn on his hometown, turn on the people that raised him. And tax collectors were notorious for not just collecting the tax, but taking more than a little extra for themselves. A tax collector probably shouldn't be wealthy if he was just. He wouldn't be the chief unless he was ruthless, greedy, willing to even push the other local tax collectors hard. Zacchaeus was a terrible person. You know how the IRS, they make it painful to pay taxes with all the forms, right? I'm terrible at them. I'm so thankful for my wife, Elena. She's the best. Well, instead of forms, they would go around with sharp swords. They would come into people's homes. Imagine these stinking, hulking, foreign Roman soldiers just going through your house, threatening you doing who knows what. And at the head of it is Zacchaeus, running more or less a mafia of pain and terror. Yet, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Verse three and four. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. 
And this terrible man wants to see Jesus, but he has a problem, and it's his height. And it's partly that he's so short, but it's partly the crowd is reluctant to let him through. The crowd doesn't want him to make it to the front. I mean, there's kids in the crowd. People can make it to the front. Jericho's not just filled with, like, NBA height guys. Like, he's short, but also people aren't a big fan of him. So he climbs a tree. And why does Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? It says he wants to see who Jesus is. He's not met Jesus before. Well, he wants to see Jesus because everybody wants to see Jesus. In Luke 4, Jesus commands fish to jump into a net. They do. In Luke 7, he raised a widow's son from the dead. If you raise someone from the dead, people are going to want to look at you. In Luke 7, he forgives a, a, a prostitute's sins on the spot, like right there making everyone know like, oh, he's claiming to be God. He's not a magician. He's not a holy man. He's forgiving sins as if he's God. In Luke 8, there's a horrible storm on this lake. The boat's going under, and at the command of Christ, the sea is calm. We look all the way through the gospels that everyone, the sick, the crippled, the blind, he's teaching the Bible as a one who has authority like no one else. Everyone wants to see Jesus. And then Jesus looks up into the tree where a full-grown man has climbed up in, in verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, it's almost as if Jesus knows all this will happen. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. As much as Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, we learn that Jesus has always seen Zacchaeus. As much as Zacchaeus wanted to get a glimpse of him, we learn that God has actually always seen Zacchaeus. Jesus knows who this man is. He calls him by name with no introduction. It's easy to miss the power of this because all the people around there probably knew Zacchaeus' name because he was evil and people feared him and he was notorious. But Jesus knows his name because he loves him. And it's actually Jesus who's seeking him, not the other way around. Jesus has always seen Zacchaeus and seeing Zacchaeus as a person, but also seeing his whole story going back to his birth. And painfully, people have chosen probably not to see Zacchaeus his whole life. They've rather probably ignored Zacchaeus, marginalized him, maybe even abused him. See, I left out a, a, a key detail in describing Zacchaeus. The word used to describe Zacchaeus' shortness is actually helika mikros, which is Greek, and it means notably short, but as you scan ancient literature, it also means the medical condition of dwarfism, or as we would say, a little person today. And we must remember, we, 
They lived in a far different world than us and how they treated people who were just small or actual little people. In Roman culture, it was very common, the smallest of the siblings not to receive food, to be abandoned, to receive little or no education, to be forgotten altogether. In Greek culture, they assigned to little people sexual perversion. They made them outcasts and even confined them to work as temple prostitutes for all of their life. Jewish culture was no great improvement. Little people were shied away from because any physical abnormality They believe that either they or their family must have committed some grave sin and now they're somehow a curse and to be put out and not a part of the synagogue, not a part of community life, can't visit the temple. And suddenly we have this picture of Zacchaeus that while he is the baddest man in Jericho, his life reads a little closer to the origin story of a villain in a Marvel comic or movie. The truth is Zacchaeus has likely been a tragic outsider long before he was ever a terrible outcast for being a tax collector. See, the evil done to us often shapes us. It sticks to our insides. That shame undealt with rots us from the inside out. It can turn us into monsters if we don't deal with it. And Zacchaeus' sins, his choices, they're still his. Zacchaeus is guilty of being a traitor. He's guilty of being a thief. He probably is linked to assaults and murders and threatening and all sorts of stuff that's truly horrible. But here we have Jesus, who calls monsters by their real name, who doesn't have a pitchfork for them, but says, follow me. Zacchaeus, are you ready for dinner? Come out of that tree. I'd like to dine with you today. Zacchaeus wanted a glimpse of Jesus, and now he's dining with God himself. He's getting more than he could have ever bargained for. And to eat with someone in their home, in their low security world, a world without alarm systems, a world without reliable police, is to say, I trust you. We're friends. And that's what Jesus wants with him before he even interacts with him more. And Jesus calls and Zacchaeus obeys and he comes out of the tree with joy. And what we see is Jesus has changed Zacchaeus. That he changes people in an instant. It's not a 12-step program. It's one step, and it's God moving towards you. The crowd is angry at God's salvation at work, and they couldn't be more wrong. They're muttering. They're grumbling. They're complaining. How could Jesus do this? We hate this guy. The worst sinner they know went from not obeying God to literally obeying his every word. Think about that. The boogeyman, the bad guy just flipped. They should be dancing. They should be celebrating Jesus's power. They should be thrilled 
that the bad guy is coming home to God. You want to know what salvation's like? It's exactly like that. The evidence of salvation is a changed life that obeys with joy. Zacchaeus is a great example of what it means to know God and for God to truly know us. But instead of cheering Jesus on, instead of seeing this as another miracle of our Lord, they grumble at the scandalous grace of Jesus. And here's what the scandal of the gospel is. This is why our faith can be so unbelievable here in the South, here anywhere in the world. Because Jesus doesn't save good people because they deserve it. Jesus finds lost people. Jesus finds spiritually dead people and makes them alive. And that's a gospel that is good news for those who will believe it and see themselves as lost and dead, but can feel scandalous and unbelievable if you don't think you're dead and if you don't believe you're lost. No matter how, no matter if we are good or bad compared to our family, compared to our culture, compared to our neighbors, compared to our world, everyone's lost and dead spiritually apart from Jesus. And the good news is that everyone can be found and everyone can be made alive by the power of Jesus. Amen? Jesus delights in taking outcasts and making them insiders to his kingdom. Jesus is eating with Zacchaeus and it changes everything for Zacchaeus. It rewrites this man's whole story in an instant. The most important thing about his life isn't what's been done to him. It's not what Zacchaeus has done. It's what Jesus has done. Amen? Your story, if you're a Christian, becomes Jesus is the center and most important piece. That's how you know you believe. When Jesus is worth everything. Verse eight. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. The scoundrel has been saved because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's Jesus' favorite title for himself from the Old Testament. Son of man has came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus isn't buying his salvation. Zacchaeus isn't earning his salvation. Instead, Jesus has changed Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus' actions are just evidence. Zacchaeus gives half of his wealth away and then repays four times what he has stolen. And that feels really specific, and it is. Exodus 22, verse 1 says that of a thief, steals something, steals one cow, he needs to pay it back four cows. And it's that specific to highlight a couple things. One, Zacchaeus is Jewish. He knows the law. At some point, he, he learned it. He, he was told it. And it represents he's not getting to make up repentance. 
He doesn't get to make up his religion. He doesn't get to make up a DIY spirituality. He is fully turning from his wicked ways to God and saying, you're in charge, God. Four times it is. And you don't have to be an accountant like Elena or Grace or one of our many talented financial accountants to know if you give away half your stuff and you made most your wealth by stealing and then you pay that back times four, Zacchaeus is completely broke. This man found the treasure in Christ and doesn't care about his riches anymore. Anything that's in his way of following Jesus has to go unprompted. Jesus said, let's have dinner. Is there a lamb around here? Let's go. Jesus, or Zacchaeus isn't just excited about Jesus. He's convinced Jesus is God and he's convicted about his sin. That's why he turns. He knows he's done wrong. He doesn't have to have a long speech. He knows he's been the baddest man in Jericho. And seeing all of this change that it brings to mind that Zacchaeus, he's a rich ruler of sorts. If you remember last week, We met the rich young ruler. And Zacchaeus is here, the mirror and kind of inverse of him. In in Luke 18, there was a rich young ruler, which means, you know, kind of ruler of the synagogue, pastor type. And he meets Jesus and says, how do I inherit eternal life? And eventually Jesus says, well, you have to give away all your money because you love money more than God. And the rich young ruler can't says it makes him extremely sad for he was extremely rich. The man everyone celebrated, probably a hero of their little town, the leader, actually didn't love God. But then we have Zacchaeus, kind of the worst guy in the story. By the story, I mean the whole book of Luke. He sees the treasure that Jesus is, unprompted gives away his wealth and follows Jesus and the man's leaping for joy. It's really the story of two guys in charge, two leaders, two rich ones. And there's an application here for us. When we gaze at Jesus as our true treasure, it has a way of loosening our grip on our earthly riches. When we gaze at Jesus as our true treasure, it has a way of loosening our grip on the stuff we think we own. If you're having a hard time laying your riches, your possessions, your stuff at Jesus' feet, the answer is to gaze at Jesus' worth and beauty. When Jesus calls us, the only proper response is Zacchaeus' to surrender all. Zacchaeus is our model of how to respond to Jesus. Does Zacchaeus probably have a lifetime ahead of unpacking the wounds and the guilt and the shame of all the stuff that happened? Yeah. But does that stop him from changing? No. Does that make him keep Jesus at arm's length? Nope. Jesus is here for the healing. Jesus is here for the salvation we all need. Jesus is the God that made us and we are made for him. 
And verse nine is a beautiful part because our Lord never misspeaks. I misspeak all the time. Hang around me. But verse nine, look what it says. It's a perfect phrase. It says, salvation comes to the house of Zacchaeus, a son of Abraham. Might not mean a lot to us because most of us are not Jewish in background. But if you read your Old Testament a lot, Abraham is the one who gets the promise from God in Genesis 12 that I'm going to make the Jewish people out of you. I'm going to bless you to have a giant family, even though he had no descendants at the time. And that this family will bless all the families of earth, that one day the Savior will come through this family line too. So when Jesus says, you are a son of Abraham, it's telling this whole crowd, the guy you counted out, the guy you said, don't go near him. Jesus is saying, come here. He's actually a part of my family. He's part of the family of destiny to be with God forever and ever and ever. He's not an outsider, but he's actually the insider of insiders. That he's welcomed to my family, to my table, to my home, now and forever more. And Jesus eats with Zacchaeus in his home because Zacchaeus is coming home one day with Jesus. It's a foretaste of the future of every Christian, that we're going home to the Lord and we will dine with him. And Jesus meets us where we are, no matter the sins, no matter the story, no matter the shame, but Jesus loves us far too much to leave us there. It's the love of Jesus that changes Zacchaeus. No one receives Jesus and just stays the same. When the Lord is with you, suddenly you want to right your wrongs. When you read God's word, the Bible, you desire to obey it. You apologize. You forgive. You want to repay. Our life changes because Jesus is Lord. We surrender to let Jesus be the leader of our life and not ourselves. You cannot take Jesus as Savior and not as Lord of your life because Jesus is always Lord. He's always Lord of the universe. We don't get to redefine his role. He has a role. It'd be like moving to a new country and being like, I really want to be a citizen here, but I don't respect you as king and you're actually not king. Can I come in? No. We are coming to Jesus's country, his kingdom, and in that inheriting eternal life, but we must take him as the king of the kingdom or we can't come in. It's the terms. Jesus is not our life coach. He's not an add-on. He's not merely a friend. He's not a spiritual guru. He's the true God. And verse 10 tells us something that no other religion does. If you go, well, why believe in Jesus? Why believe in Jesus over Islam, over Hinduism, over, over Buddhism, over New Age? Why can't I just blend them all? You know, there's DIY classes at the Home Depot. Is Citizens that sort of place too? No. We're a place where Jesus is king. But look at verse 10. This is what our Savior King is like, and it separates it from all other religions. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite title, 
for himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Other religions say, come live by this standard of rules, and one day you'll be saved. Other religions say, follow this path of enlightenment, and one day you'll understand. Other religions say, work hard on your karma, treat people right, and one day, hopefully, it'll work out. Others say, do these rituals to be made pure and you'll be accepted. Our most modern religion and maybe the most popular religion in America, consumerism, tells us, buy these products, live in this neighborhood, get this right sort of job, and you'll be happy. It's just another religion. Whoever heard of a God who goes looking for bad people? But really, whoever heard of a God who goes looking for bad people to save them? Whoever heard of a God who goes looking for bad people to save them based on his goodness, not ours? That our sins are actually against God. They feel like they're against other people, but God made all the people and God loves all the people. So every time you sin against your neighbor, your spouse, your friend, you're actually sinning against God first and then them. And this God who could be infinitely offended, what does he do? But come to us, send his own son to die for us. What kind of God do we have? He's a madman unless it all works out. And it does. A God who loves the lost, the lost who sinned against God in the first place. This story about Zacchaeus is showing us a Jesus who's actually seeking us. It's popular to say, man, I'm running hard after Jesus. Get real. This ain't a game of hide and seek. Jesus is available to us and running towards us. He left heaven. He's always with us. This story shows us the seeking of Jesus, but it also hints at how Jesus saves sinners. Jesus can cause Zacchaeus to come down out of the tree. He can forgive Zacchaeus' sins. He can change Zacchaeus from the inside out. He can be with Zacchaeus for dinner and for the rest of eternity. He can call him a true son of Abraham, all because... In the next few chapters of Luke, Jesus will be hung on a tree for Zacchaeus and us. In 1 Peter, in the book of Acts, it doesn't call the cross a cross all the time. It calls it a tree on purpose. That we would see a connection of all the trees in the Bible from the Garden of Eden to the last tree in Revelation for the healing of nations. And it's because Jesus climbed up on the tree of death that Zacchaeus can be saved, that we can be saved. Jesus on that tree takes the punishment of all sins, of all people, of the whole world on him. That our sins deserve death because they're ultimately about sins against God. They're not just getting forgiveness from our friends or neighbors or family that our sins have offended a holy God and we deserve death. Jesus takes that willingly for us. And by rising from the dead three days later, that's why Jesus can say, hey, you're coming home with me today. You're a son of Abraham forevermore, both for Zacchaeus and us, whether we're the baddest man in Birmingham or a good-natured person who's also sinned. 
It doesn't matter. We're guilty and we need a savior. We can come out of the tree of judgment for our sins and dine with Jesus even today. We can come down because Jesus goes up to the tree, the cross for us. And Jesus goes to the cross not just for the sympathetic figures, but for terrible people like you and me. And that's the scandal of the gospel. Because Zacchaeus is terrible. But boy, Jesus is beautiful. And that's good news for us. Jesus is asking you to come out of the tree and be at home with him today. To belong to Jesus. Salvation always starts with Jesus' seeking and it ends with your surrender. And that changes everything. Changes everything about us. And Jesus dies for you to come to dinner with him both now and forevermore. If you don't believe today, I'm so glad you're here. But I ask, would you surrender to this beautiful Savior King? He offers what no other philosophy or religion ever could. A God who seeks you, who dies for you, who loves you. It will lead you now and forevermore. Will you follow him? Or will you stay up in a tree, gazing it may be who he is. If you'd like to follow Jesus, even today, come talk to me after. I'd love to share more with you. If you've believed a long time, would you pursue this dinner-like intimacy with God? That Jesus actually wants to meet you in your day-to-day life, whether that's a quiet time in the morning or at night, the prayers on your bed, the singing in the car, whatever it is, would you take Jesus up on the richness of his offer? that he comes for you, not to ignore you, not to play hide and seek, but to pour out his love and presence on you. Because Jesus went to the tree, we can truly belong to Jesus. It's not a mystery. It's a relationship where he loves us more than any other relationship we've ever had. Dwell with him, church. Give him your heart each day. Let him love you and teach you to sit comfortably at his table as a beloved member of his family, no matter what you've done.